before we get into our text today and uh, delve into the answer to this question, I got a little piece of info I, I found online I wanted to share, which I think it will tie in with our uh, traditional service we've chosen this morning, and as well as a portion of God's Word that I'll be reading in just a moment. December 25th, 1793 was uh, a day of significance. The place was Mannequin Town, Virginia, and the church was known as the Republican Methodist Church. It formed from several separate Methodist congregations. Rebelling against the Methodist Episcopal form of church government that was brought over uh, from England, this combined group would number in the thousands. In August of 1794, representatives of this group uh, would meet in Surrey County, Virginia to make decisions on church leadership, make decisions on what this newly formed church would be called. The group decided they no longer wanted to be affiliated with the Methodist denomination, and they could hardly go around just calling one another Republicans. That was taken. But at one point during the meeting, the preacher Rice Haggard stood up, clutching a copy of the New Testament, announced, Brothers, this is a sufficient rule of faith and practice. By it we are told that the disciples of Christ were called Christians, and I move that henceforth the followers of Christ be known as Christians only. The motion carried, and from that time forward, this group numbering in the thousands were simply called Christians not Methodists, not you name it. Their church of, was, of course, called the Christian Church or the Church of Christ. But this passage, uh, which this particular preacher referred to, is the same text we're going to be using today, telling us that God gave his own people a name, gave us a name, one name, by which we are to be known. You know, there's a personal identity to one's name isn't there the names given to us have meaning for us the names that we have matter to God too uh, scripture says in Isaiah 62 verse 2 that he gives his children a new name the question submitted to uh, our you pick the sermon series this morning is this why are we called Christians why are we called Christians it's an excellent question and the answer runs a little deeper than you might think. So uh, if you want to continue uh, the old tradition of having the books open, you can turn to Acts chapter 11 with me this morning for the answer. First, uh, bringing up to speed uh, with where we're talking. In our biblical narrative, again, we're returning to those first century believers. First century church. At this point, the gospel of Jesus Christ is starting to reach the Gentiles, or those non-Jewish people. Uh, we know by way of Apostle Peter reaching out to Cornelius and so on. We, talked, we actually talked about this briefly last week in uh, the adult Sunday school class. People of nations the whole world over, you could say, will be experiencing new life in Jesus Christ. And follow with me here in the text, uh, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen 
traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, Antioch excuse me, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 25 continues. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Hang on to that scripture. Let's go ahead and read uh, the text uh, through verse 29, though. Verse 27, now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, verse 28, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Okay, so there's a little bit of a flurry of activity happening in this text, but uh, backing up here, what again does it say these believers, God's people, are called at Antioch? You can just shout it out. Shout it out a little louder. There it is. Christians. These are the people, these are the, this is the name, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. This is the name God has given the ones who have been made his children at this point. Christians. As we look at this text from Acts 11 this morning, we actually see a few answers to this question. Why are we called Christians? As it pertains to putting on the name of Christ. This means something. Let's talk through these answers together this morning. And I'll just leave it there on verse 26 for a moment. Number one, first off, we're called Christians because we identify with Christ's name. We identify with this name. If you're a Christian, being a Christian is what now defines you. Following Jesus is what makes you who you are. This suffix ian, I-A-N, actually means belonging to. Belonging to. There's a funny saying that goes, no matter where you go, there you are. Ever heard that? And it's very true. As a Christian, no matter where you go, there you are. And there goes the name of Jesus Christ with you. If you want to turn uh, with me back in your Bibles, just a few chapters prior, if you've got those open to Acts chapter 8. This is going to take us back a bit to the stoning of Stephen. And the text says this in verse 1, And Saul approved of his execution, Stephen's of course. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Where did they go? Verse 19 again. We're back to our text today. Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Verse 20, 
But there's a few of them who begin preaching to the Greek speakers, uh, to the Hellenists. So even during early church persecution, the Christians were carrying the name of Christ. They were carrying this name, no matter these uh, rough and tumble circumstances they were having. And what was the result? Verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. People were getting saved by the name of Christ via Christians. You know what's interesting to me in Luke's text here? We get really no names in this account. We get really no names. That, what I mean is Scripture gives us, the, it gives us the details of the church as far as where it's being scattered. Where the Christians are going, you know, we find out again, Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, some are going to these Hellenists, etc. But individual names of missionaries are not identified. And why do you think that is? It, you know, names matter to the Lord. Otherwise, why would we have the book of Numbers, right? And yet, in these passages of Scripture, in which a bunch of Christians are identified, we aren't given the name of a single one of them in this text either on the delivering or the receiving end of the preaching. We're told one name. Verse 21, the Lord. This is the name that's emphasized. Okay, sure, back in Acts chapter 8, we find out that Philip is a part of the mission. But Luke seems to be purposely leaving these evangelists unnamed. Of course, he tells us they're not apostles. And this seems that only one thing matters when it comes to evangelism. Not my name, not who I am, but the name of the one to which I belong. Amen? My new name. Verse 21, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And verse 26, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is just a small point, but I think it's significant. I think this omission on, on Luke's part is, is, uh, is intentional. The past, as far as it was concerned with these people, with these members of the church, it was over. They were no longer living for themselves, but for the name of Christ. This is what Christian means. Our lives are no longer about us. I'm given a new name. Has God given you a new name of Christian, like these Christians in Acts chapter 11? If so, how well do you identify it? Do we sometimes in the church try to adopt other names, have other classifications, other people along with Jesus as part of our identity? One preacher notes, there was a time in the early church when members would attempt to adopt the names of men, their spiritual leaders, in order to separate themselves from other brethren, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 10 to 13, if you're taking notes. What happened? Well, division. Division had already begun within the church, and it caused more division within the church. And so just like the believers of today, just like the church today, they were forming their own little denominations even back then. There's critics of the church. Believe it, I know it's hard to believe sometimes that, that we have critics. But there's critics of the Christian faith. And you know what they ask us? They ask us how there can be 40,000 Christian church organizations worldwide all supposedly preaching uh, unity in Christ. How is this? Oh, we've always had this problem in the church. 
putting the focus on our names, putting the focus on who we are. There was a time when it was Paul, Apollos. There's times that it's Luther, Wesley, John Calvin. There's times that it's your favorite TV preacher or somebody with a podcast. What happens? Well, we, we put the focus on our ideas. We put the focus on our tracts, our man-made statements, our creeds, our, uh, what we come up with. But my Bible says there's only one name of the founder and owner of this church. Amen? Jesus Christ. I love the name Christian. I love to bear the name Christian. Because I love to give glory to the name of Jesus. I echo the feelings of one Church of Christ minister who says, I don't want to be known as Protestant. I don't want to be known as evangelical. I don't want to be known as independent. Just Christian. Just Christian. Belonging to Christ. If it was good enough for the first century church, it's good enough for the 21st century church. Right? Amen? Maybe names don't mean quite so much to us today uh, culturally as they have in the past. Maybe that's a uh, kind of a negative. I read this week that today in America, there are thousands upon thousands of people with the name uh, Jim Smith. Raise your hand. You ever known any Jim Smiths? Apparently, it's a fairly common name. It's not a bad name, Jim Smith, but it's common. This is such a common name in America that there is actually a Jim Smith Club. There are 50,000 people registered to the Jim Smith Club. Every year, there is a Jim Smith Club meeting in Las Vegas. This, this is true. One of the highlights of the Jim Smith Convention uh, is this big softball game in which everyone participating, named Jim Smith, gets to announce every single batter approaching the plate by saying, and now batting is Jim Smith. And, and it's an absolute hoot. Every single batter is named Jim Smith. Every fielder is named Jim Smith. Even the umpires. Love it. But what troubles me about this one is what happens when Jim Smith's car's on fire, right? Mass pandemonium. These are the things that keep me up at night. Fortunately, we don't all have to identify as Jim Smith. But it's a real blessing in the world to identify as Christian. Christian. There's power in that name. This word used three times in the New Testament in our text today, Acts 11.26, also in Acts 26.28, finally in 1 Peter 4.16. This may sting a little bit, but in all three verses, Christian refers to a person who identifies as following after Jesus at their own personal expense. At their own personal expense. That's a note we want to take this morning. Uh, some commentators argue, well, in the first century, it was a word of derision. Christian was a put-down. But if Christian was good enough for the apostles of Christ... I think it's good enough for today's followers of Christ as well. But the problem isn't that the church today shouldn't be called by this glorious name, Christ's name. The problem is that we fail to live up to it. We fail to live up to it. Second answer to the question this morning, why are we called Christians, is this. Because it is up to us to witness to others about Jesus Christ. Amen? It's up to us. 
when Christians identify with the name Jesus, Christians will in turn work to spread the name. I'm going to read through this text again. We'll start with verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Let's go on. Verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. You see what's happening here? Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Let's stop there once again. So this Greek mission within Antioch was augmented by Barnabas. A little bit about Barnabas. Barnabas came from Jerusalem. He was a Christian whom Bible commentator Barclay later called the man in the church with the biggest heart. Man in the church with the biggest heart. How'd you like that said about you? Acts 4.36 even tells us that the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. And maybe you've known some modern day Christians like Barnabas. Maybe you can think of some people that come to mind uh, when you hear that description. Barnabas was a generous Christian, a generous person. This was a guy who sold a field. This is back when the, the church immediately started selling their possessions and, and giving the proceeds away back in Acts 4.37. Barnabas was also acknowledged by Paul as being self-supported in his evangelism, 1 Corinthians 9. Barnabas was a giver, not a taker. And he was a witness for Paul to the early church as well as a major part of Paul's first missionary journey in Acts 13. So we could probably go on and on and on and on about the guy. And here Barnabas is sent to follow up on the reports of changed lives at Antioch. He was certainly the right guy for the job, wasn't he? And as verse 23 tells us, Barnabas came and he saw the grace of God. He was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. This was a growing church, multicultural church. Why? Why was this happening? Well, because they, like Barnabas, knew it was up to them to do the work. Antioch is proof. Antioch is proof. See, it's not just the, the, the local minister's job to evangelize. It's not just up to the local church leaders, the elders to witness, but we are all in this following Christ thing together. We are all reaching out to the world, every one of us. It's not a maybe. It's not a, if I get a specific call to a specific ministry on just the right day of the week. It's not, well, I'd sure like to help out more in spreading the name of Jesus, but I'm just not as young as I used to be. It is, I go to whom I'm called. I go to whom I called. If we bear Christ's name, this is you and you and you, we are then required to spread Christ's name. It's what we see in Scripture. So the question this morning is, how are we doing on that? Do you think that if Barnabas could be called today, you know, if we could send him an email, Barnabas at church.com, that's probably taken, don't try to email it. But if Barnabas came to Ferris Church of Christ, would he be glad? Would he see us remaining faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose? 
Would he see that we're, we're considering this call to Christ? We're extending it. No matter who we are, no matter where we're from. Are we as excited as we should be about Jesus? And like this early church, going and growing vibrantly. And if the answers to these questions are, are in the negative, maybe we should ask ourselves one simple question. What kind of church do you want to see when you walk in these doors? Because who we are will show by what we do. A former minister to one of the largest churches in Houston, Texas, a man by the name of uh, Joe Bisogno, tells the story of his arriving there as a candidate for the position of minister. This was many years ago. Bisogno said that as he entered the auditorium at the church building for the first time, he found it dimly lit, horribly dated, with just a few people huddled together. He heard an old, slow, funeral-type dirge being murmured by the people for praise and worship. The trouble is, it wasn't worshipful, it was hardly reverent. A better word, he said, would be depressing. But later that same day, Brother Joe took a walk in downtown Houston and came upon a jewelry store, which was having a grand opening. There he was welcomed into bright lights by a greeter with a big smile at the front door. Inside that building, there was a, there was a celebration going on. Refreshments were being served, there was joy in the air, a little laughter and a lot of chatter were catching Joe's attention. The proprietors of the jewelry store welcomed Joe, offered him some punch, and later that day, he said that after attending both the church and the jewelry store, if the jewelry store had offered an invitation, he would have joined the jewelry store. It's funny, but it's sad at the same time. What kind of church do you want congregating on Sunday morning? Because you're the church. You are the church. One that's celebratory, one that's alive, one that's full of the presence of the Holy Spirit, one that's been touched by the hand of the Lord, one that's full of God's people and growing in God's people, or, you know, one that's just kind of slowly burying itself as soon as we do. See, this place where we were first called Christians, this was a, an explosion. The gospel was spreading. People were excited. In verse 24 of our text where we read this, a great many people were added to the Lord. This Greek word for added, it's also used in Luke's text about the day of Pentecost, the day the church began, in which 3,000 people became Christians. Acts 2.41, 3,000. I'm guessing you'd go through a couple pairs of waders with 3,000 people. Later, the word is used again to refer to the daily additions which followed, Acts 2.47. The Lord is adding there to the Christian church through the Christian church, not just through Paul, not just through Barnabas, but through the church, through the church. Maybe we argue, well, God's got a lot more people to work with than we do on our street corner, but, you know, Antioch had something like 500,000 people, right? Fair enough. But consider again that Jesus started in Jerusalem with 12. 12. Not a group of believers this size. 12. I've talked about them before. I, uh, this morning I won't go into gross statistics like those of our sister congregation, Southeast Christian. They're big. 
You know, they, they have a, a building this size for youth ministry. They have to hire people to keep the cafe within the youth building stocked. Would you like that job? But I will tell you, scripturally speaking, our problem with building the church doesn't have anything to do with the location of the size of the existing church. It has everything to do with the willingness of the existing church. The willingness. Do we want to grow? How excited are we? How excited do we want to share the gospel with others? Be honest, because others will be affected by your willingness to spread the name given to you. In this country at this point on the timeline, there are roughly 319 million people. 319 million. And yet statistics say that only 52% of American Christians, keep in mind, out of all the people that supposedly believe, yes, it's up to me to share the gospel, only 52%, slightly over half of those people, will actually say, yes, I did share the gospel last year one time. One time. Statistically. Just one out of two people, according to the Barna Institute out of Southern California, shared the gospel once in the last 12 months. Do you think maybe this is the reason why we're becoming the minority in the United States of America? Could be. We like to point fingers, you know, politicians, the media, culture at large. We're the problem. The lack of the present church comes down to the fault of the present church. It's scriptural. One out of two, one time in the last year. What would Barnabas say about us? What would Jesus? What are we doing? What are we doing with our time? When we put on Christ's name, we work to spread Christ's name. And just think, just think what this nation, this area, this congregation could look like if all of us got up to one evangelistic effort. Not a year, not a month. I don't know, maybe once a week as a starter goal to the outside world. Just think. Maybe we'd have more people walk in our doors. Maybe we'd grow until we couldn't fit any more people in these pews. Maybe we'd look a lot more like that first century church because spreading the name would mean having the name, passing it on. Lastly, this morning, we're going to look again at verse uh, 27 through 30. When we put on Christ's name, we support one another. We support one another. We talked about this a little bit this morning in Sunday school. When we put on Christ's name, we support the others who bear Christ's name too, right? Christians support one another. And again, let's read verses 27 through 30. Sorry, I got a bit of a dry mouth this morning. Verse 27, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, verse 28, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Okay, now, again, a little bit of historical con uh, context. Biblical historian Josephus wrote about a great famine in the first century again taking place during this rule of Claudius, during about AD 41 to 54 on the timeline. This is most likely, again, extra biblical, but this is most likely the famine to which Scripture is referring here on the timeline. Regardless, the Holy Spirit speaks through this Agabus to inform the church that, hey, this famine is coming. It's, it's coming to Judea. How did the church respond? 
How did they respond? You know what they could have said? They could have said, well, we have to take care of ourselves first. We have to take care of Antioch before we can take care of other people. Right? Maybe they would have even been justified in saying that. But verse 29 says, they determined, what can we do? How can we help? How can we be a blessing to these brothers, to these others? Barnabas and Saul have responded to the call of the Christians in Antioch, and now they're going to respond to the call of the, Christian, the Christians back in Judea. What can we take from their example today? Well, where do we need to go? Where does Christ need to go? First, we, first we need to be tuned into what's happening to Christians in other places. That's obvious. But second, the text tells us that it all depends on our ability, how we're going to support one another. Some of us might, and, and some of us have, uh, hopped on a plane, go to Honduras, Chile, uh, using our talents and gifts in various building projects or teaching, uh, contributing to the evangelism there. Might be hands-on. Some of us might support one another by getting in the car and, and driving to a hospital or a prison or an, uh, or an assisted living facility. Uh, maybe just sticking your head into a few uh, patient rooms, encouraging one another. Sharing the word with one another. There's a lot of different ways we can do this. We can encourage. You know, some of us might not physically be able to support other believers to be physically there. Maybe we're able to financially be generous, like Barnabas. We can contribute to the Christian cause uh, in our Sunday tithes and offerings. That's a, that's a way we can do it. You know, some of us just pick up the phone when someone needs encouragement. We send them our love and support that way. And some of us are just Montcalm County's greatest prayer warriors. I have a feeling some of you know who you are. But this is all encouraging Christian work. Keep that up, those of you that are involved in those things. Keep it up. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. That's to every church. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Encouraging one another, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. How does that feel? Word of God. But regardless, in the case of so many early Christians, and we've talked specifically about some of them today, you realize it didn't matter so much their gifts for the kingdom as much as it did their availability. Just being there, letting God work. Because here's the thing. When it's God who gives the growth, he's going to do the work. But you have to show up. He's going to do the work, you know, sometimes in, in small but mighty ways. We've talked a lot about Paul and Barnabas today. I'd like to share a, a brief story with you. Um, it comes from a preacher of another duo. Their names were R.A. Bossart and Mr. Haman. These two evangelists were taken prison in communist China. This was over 60 years ago. Not a pleasant outcome for one service. Sitting on a freezing prison floor one December day, these two had no fire to keep them warm and nothing but a small amount of rice and vegetables to live on. Their situation couldn't have seemed more dismal. These two Christians were forbidden by the guards surrounding them to even speak out loud. Imagine that. Imagine being in those circumstances. But one day, 
The Holy Spirit reminded R.A. of a single word. You know what the word was? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Meaning, of course, God with us. This name given to Jesus reminded R.A. that Jesus truly is God. And with all who belong to him, no matter where we are, God is with you. R.A. longed to pass this encouraging word on as a reminder to Mr. Haman. So taking pieces of nearby straw on the ground, he formed letters to spell out the single word E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L. Just one word on this cold, hard prison ground written in pieces of straw was an encouraging statement that turned this freezing cell into a place of great joy. God was with them. God had not let go of them. God didn't fail them. Friends, how can you provide an encouraging word to someone near you? It doesn't take much. I don't care your circumstances. Matthew Henry writes, If all mankind were true Christians, how cheerfully we would help one another. The whole earth would be like one large family, every member of which would strive to be dutiful and kind. I'd like to add, you know, just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. When we put on Christ's name, we support others who bear it as well. You know, there are a lot of names we could follow in this world. There are. There are a lot of names out there. And the majority of them are, probably aren't going to get us anywhere that we want to go. There are definitely some strange ones, too, mostly from Hollywood. Actor uh, Nicolas Cage named his child Cal-El, K-A-L-E-L. Uh, actor Jason Lee named his child Pilot Inspector. I'm not kidding. There's actually someone on this planet with a birth certificate that says Pilot Inspector Lee. Sylvester Stallone's child is named Sage Moonblood. There's also Moxie Crime Fighter Gillette. How'd you like to go into public school with that name? Moxie Crime Fighter Gillette, son of entertainer Penn. Perhaps my favorite, siblings Dweezil Moon Unit and Diva Muffin Zappa, children of musician Frank. But this world is full of many other kinds of names too. You know what they are? Episcopalian, Pentecostal, Adventist. Twice firstborn anointed free congregation revelationist of the apostolic succession. I made that up, but it sounds like a church. I guess the people that go to some of these churches just say, I believe. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I just want to be a Christian. I just, I just want to follow Jesus. And that's all. He is all. Follow Jesus. Belong to Jesus. Spread the name of Jesus. Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. This morning I'd like to close with two questions for you for the week. When someone thinks of your name, do they think of Jesus only? Do they think of Jesus only? And if not, what could you do differently as a Christian only? Think on that this week. Let's pray. Lord, we know that there is no other name 
anywhere that has salvation. Lord, we know that praising the name, praising the Lamb, and it will not be enough. Lord, we see the divine love through Jesus. We're so thankful and grateful. Lord, I just pray that as we are in this world, we, we remember that we're strangers to this world. All the names and, and all the people and all the movements that want to claim us and all the man-made gods that go by so many other names, Lord. I pray, O oh God, that you would hold us close to you. Lord, we love your name. We praise your name. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would work through us so that others would understand, would know the significance of that name. That when others would think of us, come into contact with us, they would praise the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that uh, we would take the name that you give to us seriously. That we wouldn't just look at Christianity as one more thing to belong to or, or one more club to check a box on, but that it would determine who we are, O oh Lord. That the decisions that we make would be of Christ. That the priorities that we make and set would be of Christ. That what we do with our finances and how we spend our time and the company that we keep would be of Christ. Lord, help us not to just be Christian culture consumers, but Christ followers. Oh God, we praise you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for what's been done for each and every one of us and that we are adopted into your family forever by the name. Oh God, we praise you. We thank you. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And as I've said before, uh, we're going to go into our song today, our invitation song, Just As I Am. And just as I said before, this is a time in which who you are, regardless, it doesn't matter what name you've been given or what names people have thrown at you. He gives you a new one, and it's good forever. It won't wear out. And others may scoff at you because of that name, but it's the name that saves. Amen? If you haven't yet put on the name of Christ, we invite you to come forward and to go into those waters of baptism and come up as part of the family. Put on that name for eternity. But if you have another public decision to make, to publicly declare in front of other witnesses, we invite you to do that.
This is a limited time offer to put on that name and follow it forever. There is no other name, no other name worth following. Shake off every other one and come to Jesus. We plead with you. Let's stand and sing our invitation song. We're happy to have Brother Gerald back to receive today.